All right. Well, if you want to remain standing for just a moment and grab your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be uh, starting in verse 34. That's on page 844 if you're going to use a pew Bible. Page 844. And this is what God's Word says. Mark chapter 8 beginning in verse 34. And calling the crowd to Him with His disciples, He said to them, If you would come after me, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation... Of him, the Son of Man will also be ashamed when he comes in glory, the Father with the holy angels. Praise God for his word. You can be seated. So as we approach 2022 and we wrap up 2021, I thought this would be a fitting passage of scripture for us to look at. It's one that I go back to quite often. Uh, It's one, in fact, that John Calvin said is the, is the sum of the Christian life is found in, in these verses. And so if you're taking notes and you want to put a title on this, um, I'm calling it The Call and the Cost of Discipleship. The Call and the Cost of Discipleship that we see here. Mark is the shortest of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And uh, it, end, or it begins and it ends very abruptly. In Mark chapter 1, verse 1, it says, this is the beginning of the gospel. And it ends in chapter 16 with Mary and Mary and Peter running away from the tomb, trembling and astonished. And that's why sometimes the gospel of Mark is referred to as the action gospel. It uses the word immediately some 40 times in 16 chapters. There is more of an emphasis in the Gospel of Mark on what Jesus did rather than on what Jesus taught. You're not going to find the Sermon in the Mount in the Gospel of Mark. And uh, Mark chapter 8 verse 31 begins a new section in Mark where Jesus is traveling with his disciples from Caesarea Philippi, and as Luke 9 puts it, he begins to set his face towards Jerusalem. And his heart turns to preparing his disciples for his departure. The gospel is already bearing fruit. We see this in Peter's confession just before this. Peter speaks for the group and confesses that um, Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. And so now Jesus is able to start spoon-feeding them, if you will, concerning what his mission in coming to the earth was and the message that they would soon be proclaiming. Namely, the death of Christ on our behalf and our life on behalf of his death and all the implications of that. And because a servant is not greater than his master's, we shouldn't be surprised when we look at these verses and to realize that Jesus is essentially calling us to follow in his footsteps. 
And so we see in verse 34, he calls to the crowd, as well as the disciples, and he says to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. And I think we'd do a disservice if we started with self-denial. That's actually not number one here. In verse 34, if it was, then Christianity would really be no different than any other self-help philosophy or religion in the world that places man at the center of, of, of all the change that we could accomplish, right, in, in our lives for good. No, in fact, uh, the first thing that is stated here is it says that if anyone would, and now you may seem like that's, that's kind of a, uh, I mean, why would you point that out? If anyone, it's really better translated, if anyone wants to or if anyone has the desire to follow me, let him do such and such. So we need to ask a question here, a very basic question is, uh, why do I follow Jesus? Why, why, do I go to, why do I take the time to go to church? Why do I take the time to read my Bible and pray and have a relationship with the Lord? And the simple answer is, because I want to. But why do I want to? That's the question. Why do I have the desire to? And I think the answer is important, and it can be illustrated in Peter's previous conversation with Jesus, where right after he confesses that Jesus is the Messiah, uh, Mark 16 kind of fills in some of these blanks on the conversation that is had there. And it's interesting because right after Peter says, or Jesus says, well, you know, who do you say that I am? And he, we say, well, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the one to come. The first thing that Jesus does, which is interesting to me, it's not interesting, it's, it's, it is interesting, he says, he doesn't, he doesn't congratulate Peter on how clever he is, or say, wow, you're, you're much more spiritual than the rest of the bunch. No, in fact, he says in Matthew 16, 17, Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. So we fast forward to this, and we ask ourselves, where does the desire to follow Jesus come from? And the answer is very simple. It comes from God. It comes from God. In John chapter 3, when Jesus has the interaction with Nicodemus, and he says, if you want to see the kingdom, what must happen? You must be born again. You must be born from above. And so now I ask the question to you, do you want to follow Jesus? Do you have a desire to follow Jesus? Not are you here tonight and do you have some flamethrower passion for the Lord and you're ready to just give it all and lay it all on the line on Him, but is there even a smoldering wick within you that is the love of a love for Christ? And we know what Jesus does with a smoldering wick, don't we? He doesn't quench it. He kindles it. And he helps it continue on, right? So the call of discipleship begins with being born again, with having a desire to follow Jesus. And then it continues on into a lifelong, uh, lifelong calling of self-denial. Would, would deny himself. Now, this may not be what you think when you think of that, when you think of self-denial. When we think of denying ourselves, we might think of denying ourselves of something, right? Like 
don't have that seventh Oreo, you know, or that fifth cup of coffee. (laughs) Or maybe we think of denying our personality, the way in which God has wired us, our, our disposition. I don't think that's what Jesus is getting at here. What Jesus is saying here is a total denial of self, of self-love and all that comes with that. Then in his book, uh, A. Craig Troxel, it's called With All Your Heart, he says this, as Christians, we no longer live for ourselves because we are not our own. We belong to Christ who commands us in Mark 8.34, to deny ourselves. And so, we renounce the sinful excesses of selfishness that plague us. And here's the list. Self-importance, self-promotion, self-indulgence, self-absorption, self-advocacy, self-centeredness, self-interest, and self-pity. A lot of selves. And so, it is a daily and nightly attitude that clings to us and that, and, and that, that screams from our flesh, What I want in this moment is more important than what God expects of me. What I want in this moment is more important than what other people need right now. And in my family, if you really want to see that on display, come over around bedtime. If you really want to see sin nature, uh, watch some, some young parents putting their children to bed. So how do we deny ourselves? How do we deny ourselves, as he says? Well, by constantly, constantly going back to Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so now the life I live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loves me and has given himself for me. You know, the fact of the matter is, it's a lot easier, it's a lot easier to to give something up that is not yours to begin with than it is to actually give something up that belongs to you. And that's where the rich young ruler went the wrong direction. Remember, the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? The emphasis was on him and what he could do to earn God's favor. And Jesus walks through the Ten Commandments with him and he says, yeah, I'm good. And then he comes to this and he says, you need to do this one thing. Okay, I'm listening. What is it? Sell all you have and give to the poor and come follow me and you'll have treasure in heaven. And what does it say that happened? He went away sorrowful because he had great possessions. If he would have loved Jesus, he would have gladly obeyed him realizing that the treasure he had was not his to begin with. It, belonged, it was given to him by God. And so we see that self-denial, then, is a prerequisite for what comes next, taking up one's cross, to deny yourself and to take up your cross. Denying yourself and taking up your cross are two sides of the same coin. No one's going to take up their cross unless they deny themselves, and those who deny themselves are then commanded to take up their cross. Now, cross-bearing can get a lot of people confused 
And um, the cross, when Jesus is speaking to them in this context here, he's, he's not referring to some burden that you have to carry throughout your, your life, like your spouse or something, right? Your, your burden, your cross, your cross bearing is not your spouse, okay? Um, and, and don't look at your spouse right now, okay? Uh, the cross is a, is a picture of total submission to the Lordship of Christ, in every area of your life. It's a total submission to the Lordship of Christ in every area of your life. People carrying a cross in those days, you see, they were condemned. They were condemned people. In the same way, we're condemned. Did I get your attention? <laughs> Not actually. Actually, it is our sin that is condemned. Romans 6 says... That if we have been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in the resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing. So that we no longer are slaves to sin. For the one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death has no dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. We read about, we looked at that this morning. But the life he lives, he now lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Sin is a hindrance to us following Christ. Hebrews 12 tells us that. And those who have suffered in the flesh have ceased from sin as, because Christ suffered in the flesh. And so when we take up our cross and follow Jesus, what we're saying is, is Lord, whatever you want, wherever you want, whenever you want. And that's what Jesus did in the garden. And so, brothers and sisters, the cross represents the place that God's will triumphs over my will Because the cross of Christ is where God's will triumphed over my sin. Let me say that again. The cross and me bearing my cross represents the place where I submit my will to God's will. And the reason I'm able to do that is because God dealt with my sin on the cross. My sin is a hindrance to me submitting to the will of God. But I can actively do that because God has taken care of my sin on the cross. In Matthew 10, Jesus takes it so far as to say that if you're not willing to take up your cross, you're not actually worthy to be a disciple, to be a follower of Jesus. So we see that there is no middle, ba- middle ground with Christ. There is no middle ground with Christ. But unlike the cross that Christ carried for us, the burden He gives to us And Matthew 11 says it is light. It is light. His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 5.3 He sets us free for freedom. Galatians 5.1 To see the law of Christ fulfilled, to hear His pardoning voice will change a slave into a child and duty into a choice. One of my favorite poems. And so as one theologian put it, the apparently gloomy news 
about the cross is actually the way to total freedom and total fulfillment in life. The call of discipleship is to deny oneself, take up his cross, and follow Jesus. To follow Jesus, this is an action, this is an active part that we play in our salvation. Each day, the fact of the matter is, each day, we have to choose to abide in Christ, do we not? To think every thought in light of Him, to say every word in light of Him, and to do every action in light of Him. And that's why, in Mark 9.32, Jesus adds the word daily to these three, to, take up, uh, to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. In, Mark, in Luke 9, he says to, that we are to daily do this. And so as I've had to ask myself this week, and as Brooke and I were talking earlier, you know, this is, this is a hard verse to examine ourselves and to look at. How are you doing with that? How are you doing with that? How is your daily walk with God? What does is, what is your daily walk with God look like? Not just your quiet time, but all your time throughout the day. As Proverbs 3 says, do we, do we acknowledge Him in all of our ways, right? What part does the Holy Spirit play in your life? What part does Christ play in your life? Does the Father play in your daily life? Godliness has few faithful friends who wait upon her daily, as one Puritan put it. But we, may we be one of them. So the path to this self-denial, cross-bearing, following Jesus kind of discipleship that we see here is then somewhat explained in verse 35 through 38. Uh, those of you who are students in the room, younger people can help me out. If you got your Bible, look at verse uh, 35 through 38, and you're going to see a preposition at the beginning of each of those verses, four, right? And uh, it says, for whoever would save his life will lose it, whoever loses life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation of him, the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with his holy angels. What Jesus is saying here, what he is saying here is totally foreign to the world. It's totally foreign to those who are outside of Christ. I mean, who wouldn't want to save their life? Right? Who wouldn't want to enjoy their life pursuing things that makes their flesh happy? Who would not want the praise of men and to be acknowledged by men and to have their praise? A word that has helped me understand this, maybe it'll help you understand this, is the word paradox. Have you ever heard the word paradox before? A paradox is something that seems like it contradicts itself, like the phrase we would use 
uh, less is more, right? I mean, how can some less be more? But what we're really saying is that the more there is of something, the more complicated it is. So if you make something more simple, that's actually better, right? Less is more. It's a paradox. The, the Christian life, though, in the gospel to the world and to the human mind is a paradox. God came, and he, and he came in the form of a helpless baby. He was born in a stable, not a palace. He was a carpenter, not an earthly king. He defeated his enemies by dying. He was raised from the dead so that we could live. And then the symbol of the Christian church became the symbol of shame and death, the cross. And now, all who would truly live are called to die in order that they might live. No wonder Isaiah 55 says, His thoughts are not our thoughts and His ways are not our ways because the fact of the matter is the kingdom of God is not like the kingdom of man that we live in and that we see every day. And so I just want to point out three ways in which it costs us to follow Jesus. It's costly to follow Jesus, but that it's worth it. And the first is it's going to cost you what your flesh wants. Following Jesus will cost you what your flesh wants. But here's the deal. That's worth it. It's worth it. The things that motivate the world to get up every day and to live life and to be successful, right? Money, power, influence, fame, the desires of the flesh, possessions, they're all but a vapor. They're going to pass away. They're temporary. 1 John 2 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world, for if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the the eyes, the pride of life is not from the Father, but from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires. But whoever does the will of God abides forever. It will cost you what your flesh wants to follow Jesus. It will cost you your time to follow Jesus. It'll cost you your time. You know, I was at a funeral earlier this week, and I was reminded again how at funerals, when the the siblings or the children get up to talk about the person who passed away, you never hear things like, you know what, I'm, I'm just so thankful my dad was so rich. You know, he had a lot of money, and so we were able to buy a lot of stuff, and, and we, you know, he had this boat and this this and this that, and we, we you know... So nobody ever says that. Nobody ever says, you know, my dad was so smart. He had so many degrees, right? They get up there and they say, my dad loved me. He cared for me. He, he taught me the Bible. He took us to church. What do all these things center on? They center on time. Time, right? It's the one commodity that we all have the same amount of. Now, there's an old country song called Three Wooden Crosses. I love country music because it's so real. It's almost philosophical, you know. But Randy Travis, Three Wooden Crosses, there's the, the, in the chorus it says, it's not what you take when you leave this world behind you. It's what you leave behind you when you go, Right? And so if we are to follow Jesus as he is commanded to us, it's going to take 
our time. It's going to take our effort. So let's stop using the statement, I don't have time for that, right? And I'm guilty of that too. That's not going to be enough on the day of judgment when we stand before the Lord and we have to give an account for the children we have, for the brothers and sisters in Christ that we have, for our lost neighbors. It's not going to be okay on the day of judgment. We're going to have to give an account for all those relationships that have been entrusted to us. And the third thing we see is it's going to cost us what other people think about us. It's going to cost us what other people think of us. If we are going to say with Paul, the students we just got through going through in uh, Philippians, and the youth on Wednesday night, to live is Christ. If we're really going to say to live is Christ, then we have to be okay with the fact that we're going to look crazy to the world. Because the very core message of what we believe is foolishness to the world. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God, right? You know, I don't know about you, but the older I get, the less I really care what certain people think of me or don't think of me. Now, of course, we should always do what's right in the eyes of everyone, as Paul said, but not what's pleasing to everyone, right? As the Puritans used to put it, we should live as to put a smile on God's face. What Jesus was calling these men to and this crowd to was extreme and very hard. He was calling to follow in his footsteps. He was calling them to proclaim the good news and ultimately to die as he did. And you never know. We might be called to that someday, even here in cozy America. But for us, I think it's not so much Jesus is asking us to physically die for him, but I think what gets us a lot of times is actually just living for him every day. Another country singer I think of says, I ain't afraid of dying, Lord. It's the living that scares me to death. And so I want to leave you with one final thought and a passage that's also in Mark. So if you'll turn to Mark 13, just one page over, a couple pages over. There was a saying that the early Christian church had, believers in the early church, it was five words, for Christ and for the gospel. And I can't help but wonder, what if we recaptured that motto for our life? And we applied that to our own personal holiness, our attitude towards our sin. If we had that attitude for, for our kids and for our families, for our wives, for Christ and for the gospel, what if we had that kind of attitude to where we were going to take the gospel to the nations? Mark 13, beginning in verse 9. Be 
But be on your guard, for they will deliver you over to councils, and you will be beaten in synagogues, and you will stand before governors and kings for my sake, to be my witness before them. And the gospel must first be proclaimed to all the nations, and then they will bring you to trial and deliver you over. Do not be anxious beforehand what you are to say. But say whatever is given to you that hour, for it is not you who speak, but the Holy Spirit. And brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child, and child will raise against their parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated for, by all for my name's sake, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. Jesus is worth it. Amen? All right. Gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, you really and truly are worth it. Following you is worth it. Denying ourselves is worth it. And we forgive you when we don't, God, when we don't follow you as you have commanded us to, God. Lord, when we get distracted and we get tired, Lord, you you know our frame, you know that we are weak. But you also know that you have given us your spirit. You've given us your word. You've given us your church. You've given us your glorious commands, God, that are not burdensome. And that we are able to obey and to fulfill. Because the life that we live is not in our power, in our strength. But it is in you, Christ. And so as we go forth, Lord, and we look at a new year. I pray that we would remember afresh. Lord, what you have done for us, God, and that we would carry out in your grace that is sufficient, Lord, and that we would be, Lord, faithful. We would be like those early Christians, Lord, who suffered so much for your name's sake and for the gospel, and who are able to say, Lord, for Christ and for the gospel. So we love you, we praise you, and I just pray that you would stamp your word on your people, Lord, more and more. In Jesus' name, amen.